Welcome, everybody, to episode 54 of the Educators Room podcast. I'm your host, Francesca Warren. And today, we're going to be talking to teacher extraordinaire, teacher slash writer extraordinaire, Jeremy Adams. Hey, Jeremy. How are you, Fran? It's wonderful to be with you today. Hey, I'm doing well. You have an article that is, like, taking storm, um, and we pushed it out a couple of days ago on the Educators Room um, Facebook page, and it's all around do modern educators have a front row to the American decline. So we're going to talk about that today, guys, and we're going to find out, like, do we have the front row and what we can do to stop this decline that we know is happening in our classrooms every day. So before we start, Jeremy, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been teaching at the same high school in Bakersfield, California, for uh, this is my 20th year teaching, wow. which is incredible. I started when I was 22 years old, so uh, almost two decades now. I've been teaching at a university, California State University, Bakersfield. This is my 12th year, and uh, I've written two books on education, and uh, I've been writing for you in the educator's room for, I think, five years. Yeah. And I put some articles on the Huffington Post uh, for about a year and a half now. So uh, very, very excited, and uh, now I do a lot of uh, public speaking. Uh, to different districts and different teacher groups and uh, uh, very excited, very excited where we are. Yes, and you know, one of the things, like I think your article struck a chord because as of right now, it's been shared about 900,000, um, 900 times and then if I look at the reach, if you give me a second, I'll look at the reach, but people are like, 14,000 people have been reached on the article just on our page. So talk to us, like what, talk through the articles. You know, first, do modern educators, do we have a front row to the American decline? Like, if we do, what is it? Like, talk us through that. What made you write the article, all of that? Well, I think what happens is when you've been teaching for a bit of a time period beyond a year or two, and you kind of look back and you see how things have changed, uh, and then you see in your own community or your own school or your own country, you feel that, that, that something is different about the students that we teach. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you wonder, well, maybe I'm having a bad year, or maybe I'm having a, uh, a bad year or two, or what, what's, what's different? And then you start to talk to other teachers in your site, and they feel the same way. And then you go to a, a teacher conference, and they feel the same way. Um, and, you know, what happens is you, you kind of notice some kind of interesting, enigmatic behaviors in, in the part of your students. And then I teach seniors and, and college kids, so and some of your former students, people who are 17, 18, 25 years old. And you start to, to notice some things about them that, that kind of worry you a little bit. Um, and, and, and what's interesting is, and I know that you, and I'm sure all of the people who listen to this podcast have experienced this, and I put this in the article, haven't we all had an experience where we saw something that students were doing, uh, you know, 10 years ago was, you know, everybody had a lot of, you know, ACDs, you know, a lot of this kind of, uh, you know, uh, ADD right. uh, or ADHD. And in the last few years, we kind of noticed this rise in anxiety yes. uh, or these really destructive behaviors with, with their cell phones. And so we notice these things. We're on the ground floor of the culture. You know, we're at this powerful intersection of politics and parenting and culture and and, and, and policy, and we notice things, you know, sometimes a year or two before all of a sudden we're reading The Atlantic or The New York Times or, you know, we're looking at our Twitter feed and some famous journalist has written an article about a practice or a behavior in our kids, and we saw it years ago. Yes. And I think every teacher teacher feels like, you know, we're kind of like Nostradamus. We, we see things way before the rest of the culture does. So, you know, this article was, a, was, was kind of making that argument that we see things before the rest of the country and the culture does, and what we see is, is very alarming. Right, and it's, it, you know, it's so true. Like, I remember being in the classroom maybe, let's say, six years ago, 
or even let's say 10 years ago. And I remember like there were certain things that were not acceptable for kids to do. Kids may curse at each other. They might fight each other, but they wouldn't dare do the same to a teacher. And now we're seeing these reports where kids are kids and parents and communities are more emboldened to be not only rude, but like flat out disrespectful and mean to educators. Like, you know, I see a, I see a lack of kids even wanting to not even not wanting to be educated, but a college degree doesn't hold the same esteem that it did 10, 15 years ago. So I, I, I feel it like one of the things from the article that really like made me say, Oh my gosh, our students are more likely to be outraged and inspired they are more likely to be sexually active than romantically in love. That hits the nail on the head because it's almost like we are, we're devolving as a society. Well, you know, what, what, what you say is, is absolutely true. And I, you know, I, have a, I have a very, as I said in the very beginning of the article, I have a, a, a specific definition of what I mean by declined. You know, typically when people talk about decline, they're talking about politics, which this is not without a political you know, vantage point. It does have a political view, though I, I think it transcends liberal conservative. Right. Um, but, but, but I would tell you that when I say decline, what I mean is something very specific. And what I mean by that is that I think you judge the flourishing or the decline of a civilization by how well citizens are empowered and impassioned to find meaning and purpose in their lives. And in a free society, in a society where we're not held together by the accidents of, of a king or race or language or religion, when we're held together by a common fidelity to individual liberty, you want your students to use their freedom to define their own happiness, to find happiness and meaning and purpose in their own lives. And, and I think what we see is that a lot of students don't, don't do that anymore, mm. uh, that they confuse the freedom to make big obligations and to have large convictions, they confuse that freedom with the freedom to be completely free mm. of obligations, you know? And, and, and I think that's what I mean by, you know, if you're in love, there's obligations that come there. Right. If you're inspired, well, then you're obligated to do something about it, that inspiration. If you're outraged, well, just put on a hashtag, you know? Mm. Uh, and, if you're, and so a lot of these things that, when I talk about decline, it's not necessarily about GDP. It's not about the fact that, you know, people, you know, are, are, are outraged by Donald Trump or they're outraged by Democrats or whatever. It, it transcends that. It, it's a mm. basic problem where young people, I, I feel, you know, young people aren't, aren't getting as involved. They're not getting married as much. They're not starting businesses. They don't go to church. They don't feel particularly patriotic. Um, a lot of these things that give people meaning and purpose in their lives, it's not there for a lot of young people. Mm. Do you think that it's, it's a direct correlation to the age of social media where it's so much easier for you to be outraged on Facebook opposed to you actually getting out and voting? Or you actually, when you see someone being downright mean to somebody, you saying, no, that's not right. You don't do that. Opposed to going on social media and filming it and not saying anything. Yes, yes, and yes, yes on all accounts. Uh, I, I think social I, is, social media has two big problems. Um, when I think it leads to kind of decline and a lack of engagement, the first one is is what you pinpointed, which is that we can construct our own universes, can't we? You know, if you're a liberal or a conservative, if you're into tennis or football, whatever you're into, whatever your view is, you know, you can construct a world where you only interact with people who share that interest or that viewpoint or that Ooh. sentiment. And yet, what is the purpose of education? The purpose of education is to get people to become ennobled and inspired and impassioned by making them read and think and consider 
ideas and experiences and, ex- and events that they had never considered before, right? Mm. And so, you know, to, to make the world bigger, you have to, you have to engage it. And that kind of leads me to the second problem with social media. You know, think about this, friend, for just a minute. Ten years ago, if a, if a space alien were to come down into, into the Earth and you would look at human beings walking around, they would be talking to each other, they would be looking at the, at the trees, they would be looking up into the clouds, right? They would be engaging the world. But when I walk across a college campus nowadays, if you look at human beings now, if that alien were to come back today, everybody is, a, is essentially, you know, uh, they are tied uh, to, these, to these phones, to these uh, devices in such a way that you don't even look up to look at a sunset, mm. you know? And it's, it, 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 it's disturbing to me because I want kids to go out and go to football games with their friends. I want them to go to movies. I want them to take a hike. I want them to do all these things, and yet they can go into their room and feel like they're engaging the world, but they're not. Mm. And, uh, you know, it makes their world smaller. What I want young people to, to realize how big the world is, um, you know, I want them to read books. I want them to travel to places and to meet, to meet people with a different point of view. And I think social media isn't helping any of that. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people, and I'm probably guilty of this also, you become so uncomfortable with other with things you don't agree with that you don't even know how to have a decent conversation anymore. I told, I was, I was reading something the other day and I know this is a whole nother podcast, but they were talking about how now politics are so divided that you can't even imagine voting. You can't even put your place in the shoes on why somebody would vote for the other person. Like you can't even say, Oh, I know why they voted for this person or I know why they voted for that person. It's almost as if I don't know why they voted for them. I can't, I don't, we have nothing in common. We can't do anything the same. And I was talking to a friend of mine who we were talking about this and she was like, you know, people don't even like, we can't even find common ground. There's no common ground. That is that's so true. And one of the things that I, one of the things that it's kind of funny you say that because in the last year or so, as I teach my political science classes, I find myself saying, you know, I want you to know about, you know, court cases and separation of powers and federalism and judicial review and all these concepts, right? But at the end of the day, I want you guys to understand that, you know, our, our former national motto was e pluribus unum, right. out of many we are one, you know, yes. and, and it feels like nowadays all we feel is the pluribus, but never the unum. And what I, what bothers me is that I agree. It's not just that we disagree. It's that we've taken it a step further, which I think has led to all this toxicity, which is we say, well, not only do I disagree with you, but the very fact that you think that, or you disagree with me makes you into a certain kind of person. Mm. And I think when we begin to ascribe the worst possible attributes to people who disagree with us, why would you talk to somebody like that when you assume that there's something fundamentally flawed about them and their humanity? Mm. And, I, and I, you know, one of the things I want my students to do, uh, especially in this era, is I say, you know what? If you are a diehard conservative, go watch MSNBC. Mm. Go read The New Yorker, right? If you are a diehard liberal, go read National Review. Watch Fox News. You have to try really, really hard. And sometimes it's tough. But if you do the hard work and understand why somebody thinks the way that they think and feel the way that they feel, nine times out of ten, you'll realize that there's actually a good reason, reason to have them feel that way. Now, sometimes there are just bad people who have you know, <laughs> evil beliefs, and they're out there. I mean, there's no question about it. But I think you have to, we have to, we have to double down on trying really hard to talk to one another. And I think a civilization in decline is, is one in which a democracy doesn't know how to have a spirited, educational, 
civilized conversation with one another. Remember, mm. friend, the, the root word of the root word of civilization is civil, civility, mm. right? Being able to talk and converse, and we've we've lost a lot of that. And, and I, I think that when we attribute the worst things to one another, we stop talking. And, mm. and that's you know, in a democracy, we only progress when we talk. Mm. And you know, the other side—not the other side, but the additional layer of that is. It's not even for some people, you know, like you said, read a book. We're moving away from people saying that it's okay, not only to be educated, but for you to read and for you to come to logical conclusions about things. If that makes sense, like there's a whole group of people or, or peoples that will look at all the evidence in the world and say, no. Because of this, I still feel this way. So I don't even know if like reasoning, like if reasoning is still respected or is still, um, you know, you, do you get what I'm saying? No, no, I know, I know, I know exactly what you're saying, and I, and I and I think that you know one of the things that we have got to, to teach young people, um, again, another mark of decline, is that it, it's absolutely okay to change your mind. You know, that, that it's not weakness uh, to change your mind on a subject because I think a lot of people, you know, think that it's, it's somehow weak or it's somehow uh, without conviction if you change your mind. I'll tell you right now, friend, I'm 41 and I have very different views about life and politics and economics and, and, and more. I have all kinds of different views at 41 than I had at 31. Yeah. And I have very different views at 31 than I did at 21. And I, I hope and pray that when I'm 51, I'm, I'm better and wiser and know more than when I than, than now. But, but I think you have to have a, this kind of disposition where, you know, we use this phrase, learning for life. Mm. But, but I think that, that needs to be our credo where we're actually able to read books and articles and talk to one another and have our minds changed. I mean, that's the only way things change in a society is if people are willing to say, well, there's the evidence. Um, you know, there's enough viewpoints that I, I finally understand. I'm going to change my, my opinion on things. Mm. And I, I think that has to be okay. That, 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 you know, this, this kind of dogmatism that we see in our society where uh, you have to be on one side or the other, a kind of tribalism where, uh, you know, we, we attribute the worst things to the other tribe. Um, I, I think we've, we've got to get over that. We've got to tell our students on one hand, you have to have convictions. Right. But you also have to be willing to refine those convictions in light of conversations and evidence and learning and life. And I think it's hard to walk that balance. I think it's very hard. And I agree. Social media has essentially kind of ossified us and, and cemented us into our corners. And it's tough to break free from that cement. Mm. Now, as a teacher, we're seeing all of this and we're watching it every day. First, second, third, fourth, fifth periods. We're seeing it yep. in legislation that's coming down about education. What do teachers do like I've said this before and that if teachers would, if teachers could all get their thoughts together around the basic principles of teaching and learning or education period, and they use those beliefs to vote accordingly, to hold people accountable, that our education system um, would make a drastic turn. So I say that to say what could teach, like we're seeing this happening what do we do to reverse it? What do we do to say, how can we help? I guess, like, how do teachers help? Because we're the first people to see it. But, like, what do we do to reverse it? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. In fact, some of the the only the only negative feedback I, I got from the article was that it seemed kind of like a downer. I mean, and I know that the art and, and I know if you look at the title of it, it, it is kind of a downer uh, and, and almost fatalistic uh, that we're kind of watching this movie uh, going down the mountain and, and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, I think that is a a, a profoundly difficult question, uh, and I will say that I think this is, a little bit to be honest, uh, I think this is where a little bit of my conservatism uh, does come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big believer in, in micro changes, mm. that, I, that, that if you're going to make a change to society, you know, I, I think one of the things that bothers me as a political science teacher is I think we have this really bad habit of thinking that if we elect this president or that president, that somehow that president's going to fix America or that senator. Um, I, I, I fundamentally don't believe that. I think that you have to go into a grassroots way of looking at it. Mm. I know that I can make a difference to my children, and I know that, that I can make a bit of a difference to my students. Mm. But I guess I guess where I get kind of um, uh, humbled, I suppose, would say that, that you know, as, as strong as I want to be of an influence over my students, and I know most teachers want to be, I think a lot of it is is set before they come in. Sadly, I I, I think teaching is a lot like religious faith. Right. Mm. So think of it this way: somebody who's religious, who has faith in God, who who believes in the divine, they see God everywhere, right? And they see grace everywhere. Somebody who doesn't have faith, who doesn't believe in God, they they don't see God anywhere, even though they're all looking at the same thing. Well, I, I think that students are like that. If students mm. have faith that what they're doing in a classroom. It's transformative. It's important. It will get them somewhere good in life. It will ameliorate their sensibilities or strengthen their rationality. If they believe that walking in the door, then they're a lot more likely to be successful than uh, so many of our students who don't see the utility of education. And and sadly, uh, and I'm not trying to avoid the question, it's just it's such a hard question, I think sadly a lot of that, that, that success that uh, determines how we do in the classroom, that, that that's determined before they walk into the classroom. Mm. And that's why, you know, people don't understand how tough it is for teachers. You know, one of the things, this, these bad habits we have, and I, I talk about this in the article, is, you know, our, our society fails, our culture fails, right. policy fails, parents fail, all these systems fail. And yet we only look to one group of professionals, teachers, to be the elixir, the, the fix-all, the panacea for everything. Mm. And I, I think teachers are really tired of it. You know, we can't, we, we cannot in one fell swoop fix poverty. We can't fix family dysfunction. We can't fix violence and drugs and a lack of health care and right. a violent culture. You know, we can't fix that. And yet we're somehow expected to take that and create magic. And I think mm. it's hard. I think it's really hard, and we have to be humble about it. Yeah. I, that doesn't answer your question, I know, but, but that's why I think it's so hard to come up with a, a, an honest solution. Yeah, because it's all those other things are so important that it's almost like we – as a yeah, I, yeah, I get it. It's it's not a, if there was a one answer, then we'd all be rich, right? You'd be yeah, you'd yeah, be rich. <laughs> and, I, and I think that I think you know modestly. I think you know we all go into the classroom. At least most of us. I mean, at least in my generation. I know you're uh, a bit younger than me. You <laughs> only know, three I, years. I, only three years. <laughs> Yes. And I, I think people in my age, kind of, we all want to be John Keating. Right. And yet, I, I think the hardest lesson I've learned in my 19 years going on 20 is I, I, I can't be that, that teacher who changes everybody's life, you know, every year, every time. That, that sometimes, mm. you know, I, I don't have a big enough, uh, I don't have a big enough, you know, web uh, to catch all of them. And, and, and it's difficult. That is difficult. 
Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Now, as we go through and as we're reading this, and for some of us, people have just started school last month. For some of us, we've been in school since August. How do you, because you're right, some people will read this article and say, oh my God, I might as well give up teaching. Like, let me go be um, a cashier at Walmart. Like, I just can't deal with the mental stress. How do you how do you talk to teachers who are at that edge, who are seeing this, who know this, but they need something to get them through? Like, do you do you refer them to watch, you know, Dead Poet Society and watch him jump up on the table and inspire his students? Like, how do you tell a teacher to, yes, we know this is happening, yes, we know this is this is our reality, but on the other hand, what do they do? Well, I, I, I mean, it's easy. I mean, I have a, a good answer to this actually, which is mm. that. I know for a fact that even though, you know, a teacher might not change everybody's life, you might not be able to overcome the hurdles. And that's, by the way, I'm I'm glad you're getting onto this because there are really two faces of decline. You know, the one face is this idea that students don't use their freedom to connect themselves to causes and institutions bigger than themselves. But the other face of decline is so many of our students who don't believe in the American dream, that it does feel like a dream to them because they have Mm. such high hurdles. And, uh, you know, I would tell you that even though you're not going to get everybody to overcome those hurdles, there is magic in the classroom. That, mm. that There are students who I can point out and say, look, those people, those kids, they have the highest hurdles in the world, but they are scrappy and they are hungry. And I know for a fact that they are overcoming hurdles because they sat in a few different people's classrooms who did make that difference. And the other thing I would say to young people is don't expect, you know, the thing about teaching that's so hard, Fran, is that there are very few outward markers of success, right? We're not handed an Oscar. Nobody puts us on a movie screen. Nobody gives us a headline. You know, a few of us sometimes can win teaching awards, but even that's kind of a nebulous award. And so I would tell them, you you, you do have to understand that our best moments aren't, it's not not listening to a symphony. Our best moments are planting seeds in the ground for an orchard that we might not ever get to see, but you have to have faith that it's going to flourish, that those so inspirational so i have to ask you what's next after you write this article like we, we see this i feel like teachers are gonna teachers are gonna say okay so we know this so you're saying like keep your head down do the work you're going to reach students but where do you see what do you see as the next big thing for you or for this these set of teachers who are inspiring and who are working with students every day and who are doing the work and they're doing the work and they're doing the work. What's the next thing they can do in their personal lives or their professional lives that's going to keep them staying the course? Because sometimes it's not enough for them to know that in two years, somebody's going to come back and say, Oh my God, you really helped me. Like what is like, what's the next thing for them? Or is it a next thing or yeah, just talk me through it. Well, well, I, I think that, I mean, first of all, I, I would, you know, on my own front, um, you know, I think that we, I think we need to have a much broader uh, conversation and, 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 you know, I, I would like to participate in a much larger project 
uh, about you know about about what teachers are seeing and, and the different elements of decline and what's what's causing it. Uh, I think it's much easier to diagnose uh, a, a disease than it is to to cure it. Mm. Um, as far as what individual teachers can do, uh, I think it's really important as you go through your career. Um, I, I think very few teachers want to just simply go in and teach their classes for 40 years uh, and never branch off. Now, right. you, you know, you, you, you've started the educators room and, 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 and you consult and you have all of these different outlets for being not just a teacher, but a, kind of a, a, an edu- pers- a, a professional in the educational infrastructure of the country. And I think everybody's kind of has to figure out well, what is your what is your second act in education? Mm. Um, you know, because for me, it took me about, you know, it took me about 10, 12 years to realize I really wanted to, to write uh, about it. And I wanted to, to speak about it. Um, and, and, and fortunately, you know, after a colossal amount of failure at it, um, you know, eventually you know, I was able to find you in the educators room and, and the Huffington Post and, and uh, eventually find, you know, uh, some publishers who would publish my books and one of them which is doing very well now and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking a lot about it, but it, it takes a long time to kind of figure out what that second act is. And I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution to what, what people should do to make a difference. Um, you know, some other people might want to be mentors. Some people mm-hmm. might want to go into administration. Uh, some people might decide they want to teach a different level or a different subject. Uh, some people might decide they want to go be counselors. And that's the beautiful thing about education is there are a lot of different levers that you can pull to kind of, you know, do something secondary in addition to whatever it is you teach. So, you know, but, but I guess what I would say is make sure there is a second or a third act. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, years ago, I read that the average teaching career in California is five years. Oh wow! Because I think teachers get very frustrated, and and they feel like you know the the forces of society are larger than they are. Uh, it's it, and it's it's very easy to get down uh, to feel like you know you, you are just doing uh, work in a, in a corner of, of the universe that nobody will ever see. Um, and I think a lot of those people probably didn't find that second act. Uh, and and you know if it's not working, try something else, try something new. Uh, and, and so like I, like I said, I don't think that there is one solution to that. Uh, but but I, I do know what hurts is is when when teachers don't stick with it. Uh, I know for a fact that I am an infinitely better teacher now in the second decade of my career than I was the first decade. And what we don't want is a bunch of American teachers who are all new teachers, right? Mm-hmm. We have to we have to use the experience of 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 experienced teachers and, and, and use that to mentor the young people coming up. Um, and that's, I mean, I think that's something, that's a resource we absolutely need to tap into. I think you said, I think you just brought up a great point about your second and third act of teaching. And I think that doesn't get talked about enough in that, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to burn out. It's inevitable that you're going to say, you know, maybe this isn't for me. And you having an act two, which may be where you decide, hey, I want to write about education. Or, hey, I want to start this YouTube channel where I'm talking about my passion um, for teaching economics and different things I've learned. Or it might be whatever it is, but you have to have that act two and that act three to keep you mentally stimulated and to keep you not jaded. So you don't get jaded and stay jaded. Because there's a difference in getting jaded and staying jaded. And I think... No, I agree. Yeah, so I, 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 I really, 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 really think that's important. Now, as you talk about, you know, your act two, I think you said act two or act three, where you're writing books and you're speaking and you're doing these things. What do you tell somebody who is listening to this podcast who is a first-year um, teacher... Um, maybe they teach social studies. Maybe they teach U.S. government. What do you tell them um, 
because they know they're going to have to get to their act two. But what do you, what are some things you tell them to keep the joy, you know, like your book, timeless teacher, like, how do you, how do you keep that for right now until you get to that act two? A great question. There are, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the speaking that I now do is, is, is typically to either mentors or to actual first and second year teachers. And, uh, just on a side note, I, I don't know if you've discovered this, but I've discovered in the last year, the absolute best audience ever are brand new teachers. First and second year teachers are a <laughs> yeah. wonderful audience. I find that veteran teachers can be tough. Um, you know, people who've been teaching for 30 years can be kind of a tough audience sometimes. Right. First, and year te- first and second year teachers are, are like sponges. They want to hear what you have to say. And to answer your question, there are a few things I say to them. Number one is the fact that, you, you like I said before, you have to know what teaching success looks like. It does not look like, you know, when we think of success, friend, we think of things like winning an Oscar, winning a Super Bowl, making a million dollars winning, you know, a prestigious award or accolade, uh, you know, the, 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 the masses kind of giving you mass applause. That's not what it looks like. That, that's not what it looks like. And you have to essentially get rid of that idea that there's going to be a top, a moment of glory, um, you know, the, the, the end of Dead Poet Society where everybody stands on their desks and says, oh, captain, my captain. That, that's not real. Right. Uh, that's, that's not what success looks like. So you, you have to kind of get rid of that fantasy. That's the first thing. The second thing I tell young people uh, who are in the classroom is that you absolutely never know. You never know who's sitting in your classroom, and you never know what they're going to remember about mm. your classroom. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, I have former students who've gone off, and they do these extraordinary things. And I, I think, you know, before this week, before I wrote this article, which is by far the most successful one I've ever written, the other one that I'd written that had done pretty well was about my former student, who I think you remember this, he's, he was actually in, he's in the show Hamilton yes, uh, on yes, Broadway. Yes. And, uh, you know, and I remember last year when we went to go see him on Broadway, and we went to dinner afterwards, and he remembered all of these things, Fran, about my class. Oh, wow. That I have no, mem- I have no memory of. <laughs> I don't remember saying these things or doing these things, but it, it somehow stuck with him. You know, and there he is, 31, 32 years old, on Broadway, dancing in Hamilton, and yet somehow he remembers something about my world history class. And so, you know, you, you just have to know that, that you don't know, you could have the next, you could have a president of the United States. You could have a Nobel Prize winner in that class. You could have somebody who does the next Marshall Plan. You don't know who's in your class. And, and so that, that's, to me, enough to keep you motivated right there, not knowing what maestro, what musician, what president, what pope, uh, what inventor. I mean, you don't know who's in your classroom. And, and one of the great things in America is, you know, talent is equally distributed. It doesn't matter what income level you teach. It doesn't matter what race you teach. It doesn't matter, you know, what subject you teach. Everybody, in, you know, you never know where there's going to be extraordinary talent and potential, and you might be harnessing it even if you don't know it. Mm. That's, I mean, that's such a great, like, just that, that's so, that's such a great note to, to stop at because I think this, what you've said, it basically gets to the root of how you motivate teachers and how you retain teachers and how you, Yes, we are facing difficult times. Yes, we are seeing all these things in society, but there's the other side and there are things that we can do. So I just appreciate you joining us last minute to talk about this. Um, before we go, I want you to talk. Give me two seconds. I always like to ask people two things. The first thing is, 
if you could do one thing in education that would change, like what, what would be the one thing you could do in education that you feel like would get the most change out of students and or fellow teachers? Um, uh, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I would tell you, and I have no idea how to do this, and if I did, I would, I would try to do it, but I think, you know, the New Deal, Apollo mission, Marshall Plan, uh, war on poverty of our time, you combine all that, okay. and if somebody can do this, if they can do this, then we're talking about a real seismic shift in our civilization. If we could find a way to match the very best teachers in our country with the populations that need those teachers the most, mm. you would see extraordinary things happen. Yes. If you can figure out how to do that, you will win, uh, you know, my applause and eternal admiration. Uh, you know, there are so many things in our system where the, 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 the kids with the most disadvantage oftentimes get the, the least experienced teachers uh, and that is that is a tragedy because I can't control how good or bad your parents are. I can't control what kind of health care you have. I can't control the traumas or the inspiration that's come before my classroom. But I can sure as heck try my best once you're in that classroom. Um, and I think we need to find a way to pair the most needy students with the most extraordinary teachers. Oh, my God. It's so wonderful. Last question. Talk to us about the most influential teacher that you had and what would you say to them today if you if you had a chance to sit down with them? still keeping some contact with him. Uh, it was my first uh, first semester uh, in college okay. at Washington and Lee University in Virginia. Uh, political philosophy class. His name was Eduardo Velasquez, and he was a brand new teacher. Uh, I, I was a freshman. He was kind of a very different kind of freshman. And uh, before that, you know, I was kind of interested in politics, but I wanted to talk about Bill Clinton, and I wanted to talk about the Supreme Court, and I wanted mm. to talk about, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and he introduced me to uh, an, an extraordinary uh, an extraordinary way to look at politics, which is through philosophy, through the lens of, of kind of these thinkers who've been around for 2,000 years, and to teach me that even though a lot of these people have been dead for 200 or 2,000 years, they can make a difference in your life today. Mm. Uh, and, and the most important thing he ever did, of course, was uh, something that I try and do for my students is he tied learning and life together, that mm. the great books, the great teachers, the great classes they continue to live on in your heart and your mind long after you've been given a grade, long after the class is over. Um, and, and that's what powerful ideas and powerful teachers do. Um, and and I, I think to this day, uh, he gave me a, a wedding present, uh, which is a picture of the Shenandoah Valley. Mm. Uh, and I have it in my classroom, and it's in the back of my classroom, and I look at it every day as a reminder of what he did for me and how I want to pass on that magic to my own students. I love it. Tell everybody where they can find you. If you need a, if you guys, if you need a dose of positivity and just so much knowledge and so much talent. Check him out. Tell them where to find you. Uh, my books, uh, easiest way is to go on, on Amazon and look up Jeremy S. Adams or Jeremy Adams. Uh, my two books are The Secrets of Timeless Teachers, and uh, I, had a, I, I wrote a memoir five years ago called Full Classrooms, Empty Cells. And then, of course, I have uh, a lot of articles I'm very proud of on the Educator's Room and also on the Huffington Post. Yeah. So it would be great for people to read and to, to, to buy. I appreciate it. And in show notes, guys, I will put a link to his books on Amazon, and I will also put a link to his articles, and specifically also to the article um, that we are talking about today um, of the decline of um, America. So thank you for joining us. Guys, you know how we do. Please leave a comment. Please share this. Please send this in your monthly, your weekly email to fellow teachers. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you for episode 55.